try it this way. Good morning, everyone. So I first came up here without my glasses, and that was not real helpful. So, uh, I mean, I can see all of you fine, but I can't see what's in front of me. So now I'm good. All right. Grateful to have you here for our worship service today. And we trust that our hearts together will be encouraged as we seek uh, to worship the Lord together. Uh, if you're new with us, there is a connection table right out front that you can go to where you can uh, meet some folks from our chapel family and also uh, find out ways that you can get engaged with us, where you can find encouragement from us. So we just encourage you after the service, stop by the connection desk and uh, they will help you out there. Uh, today, uh, Pastor Long is teaching the second half of the membership seminar. So if you were part of that, that'll be meet that'll be meeting immediately following the service. Now we've been talking about an upcoming baptism service that now we have finally nailed down a date for. Uh, so that's going to be November 20th. Okay, so November 20th, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I think, or is that? Is it? Okay, it might be. <laughs> it's November 20th. Just remember that, okay? And then, and then there will be a class for that baptism service next Sunday following the service. So if you have not done a face-to-face -face with one of the pastoral team members, then uh, that's a class that you will need to participate in in preparation uh, for the baptism service. Okay, so that's the, the immediate announcements. Uh, one of the things I just want to acknowledge, Kathy, can you just stand real quick? For the, there are people that don't know you. I, she rolled her eyes at me. That is not contempt. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kathy's, uh, as we know, thank you, Kathy. Kathy's husband passed away a little bit over a week ago. And uh, Kathy's uh, someone I've known here almost as long as anybody, uh, 20 eight, 29, 30 years. Uh, so Kathy has been a, just a faithful servant in our church family. And she just mentioned to me, uh, she came over to the house for dinner last night, how, just how deeply encouraged she has been by the amount of correspondence she's receiving from her church family. Uh, just 13 cards a day, uh, which is, I think, awesome and beautiful. And I'm not a card writer, so you didn't get one from me, right? I gave you a phone call or a text, right? Uh, but just very grateful and just ask you to continue to pray for and encourage Kathy in this season. Kathy, we count you as a dear friend and love you with all of our hearts. Thank you for your service to us at the church as well. Uh, I'm going to ask... Uh, Sarah Finkbinder to come up here real quick. So this is Doug, Pastor Doug and Sherry's uh, daughter. She's somewhere in the middle of the mix of the six. You can come over here. All right. Uh, amongst their kids. And we've known you your whole life. And uh, so is it next week you're leaving or this week? Tuesday. Tuesday. All right. On Tuesday, she's leaving to go to... Uh, Kiev in Ukraine. So that's a, a big step, right? I'll get through this. Uh, but uh, you know, I just, I, you have my full respect for hearing the call of God and uh, for walking in a situation of real risk uh, to do what you believe God wants you to do, okay? And uh, your parents and I may not like what you're ready to do, okay? <laughs> but 
you're trusting God and following his call. And uh, we want to be in prayer for you. And the reason we're having Sarah come up is so that we can identify very clearly who she is. Uh, and then that you will pray for her. Don't panic. Okay. Uh, pray that God's hand would rest upon her life and that she would be useful to God's work in the Ukraine. She, you're going with Samaritan's Purse. Mm. You want to say something real quick? Sure. Okay. Yeah. If you would. <laughs> um, better than me. <laughs> no. Thank you. Um, I, I know as I've been in Iraq, a lot of you guys have been praying for me and a lot of you who I might not even know personally, and that has meant a lot as I've come back and had this time at home and different faces and people have said, I've been praying for you and um, asking your parents for updates. And that's just really touched me, the support of this church. Um, and yeah, I just covet your prayers as I go on to Ukraine. I'll be with Samaritan's Purse where really focusing on getting food and um, clean water access to some communities that really need it over there. And um, yeah, and their SP, Samaritan's Purse is in some of these towns and areas that no one else is. So they're really providing some life-saving work. Um, and yeah, I'm honored to be a part of it, but we definitely need your prayers. So. Amen. All right. Let's pray for Sarah. Would you do this? Would you stand with me as we pray and then we'll go into this morning. So let's pray together. Father, as we uh, come into your presence, uh, we're grateful for the work uh, that is being done by people around the world, not only through Samaritan's Purse, but many others who are seeking to intervene and to bring uh, the love of Christ and ultimately the truth of Christ to areas that so desperately need to hear the truth. And Lord, it, uh, it is... I think for many of us, difficult to understand the level of sacrifice that is required today and even throughout church history to make the good news of Christ known. And so, Father, as Sarah prepares to go on Tuesday, we pray deep protection over her. Your word tells us that you are a shield about us and that ultimately our life is in your hands. God, we commit Sarah to you. We trust that the work that she is called to do will be effective. And that the name of Jesus will be clearer uh, because of her willingness to go. Uh, Lord, she'll be in Ukraine one of your voices to make Jesus known. So pour your blessing and protection over her, we pray this morning. We pray for Kathy, Lord, that you would continue to pour favor over her life. Uh, comfort in this time of loss, wisdom uh, with the uh, pressing decisions that come. We pray for, uh, for Dixie and for uh, God protection over this dear lady's heart as she walks through her season of grief and seeks to lay hold of peace in Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen her grip on you, Lord, and give her peace. For Victor and Diana, we continue, God, to pray for wisdom and favor and that uh, every day that you give them, God, would be used for your glory. Uh, for those here this morning, Lord, with unspoken needs and burdens, uh, Lord, we all carry them. And we trust that as a result of being in your presence, worshiping you, our hearts would be encouraged. That we would fall more deeply in love with you. That we would be reminded today of your deep abiding care for us. And that as we sing that truth, our hearts would be encouraged together. And as the psalmist said in Psalm 121, I look up to the mountains does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord 
the maker of heaven and earth. Father, we bless you. And we want to praise you in our season of worship this morning. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's worship him together. God is able, he'll never fail. God is able, he will never fail. He is almighty God. He's greater, greater than all we seek, greater than all we ask. He has done great things. Yes, we remember, Lord, lifted up. Defeated the grave, race to life. Our God is able. In His name, we overcome. For the Lord, our God is God is on our side, and God is with us, yes he is, and God is on our side, he'll make a way, and he will make a way, far above all we know, far above all we, he's done great things, he has done great, yes we remember Lord, lifted up. Defeated the grave, race to life, our God is able, in his name we overcome, for the Lord our God is able. This God is with us. He will never leave. God is with us. He will go before. He will never leave us. He will never leave us. God is for us. He has opened us. He will never fail us. He will never. God is with us. And God is with us. He will go before. He will never leave us. He will never leave us. God is for us. He has opened us. He will never fail us. He will never fail. Lift it up. Lift it up. He defeated the grave. To life, our God is able. 
creation will rejoice when works of wicked men you finally destroy your power will proclaim till Christ descends and you will reign forever without end how great is the in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus It's the hope of the ages Burning brighter and brighter And standing forever The church he is building Nothing can stop it a city that's shining, a light in the darkness. Nothing can stop it. Listen, though Christ, though Christ was dead, now surely He's risen. our confession this is our conviction we believe what is yes we do we believe what you've spoken though Christ was dead now surely he's risen yeah he's coming back again Christ will reign in trial. 
Cast my mind. And I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wound, his hands, his feet. My Savior on that cursed tree. Yes, He's my Savior. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid Him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. He died for us. Oh, praise the name. But oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. 
we thank you this morning we can sing corporately together 
There's something just beautiful about singing those lines. Because this is what we'll do with these, I will do this with these people forevermore. As Christians, Lord, we're not just going to stop doing this when we die or when you come back, Lord. We're going to continue to do this forevermore. And you'll be with us. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. It's almost unimaginable. You know, God, we, <laughs> we heard about Sarah this morning going to the Ukraine. And Lord, that is an incredible thing that she's planning to do. She's heard your call and she's moving forward with that. And for many of us, Lord, it's encouraging because there are things you're calling us to do. And we need to listen. But the situation in Ukraine and, of course, other atrocities around the world that are happening to people, innocent people, Christians, etc., etc. Lord, it dampens our spirits at some level. We can't imagine a world that is fixed and healed and perfect. And yet we see it. And the Bible talks about it quite often. For now we see through a, a mirror dimly. It's a reflection. The world's not right. But one day it will be made right. And you have called us here. Lord, if we're alive, I know many people think, why am I alive? Why do I exist? Well, this is it. To proclaim the name of Jesus. That there is a savior for this world. A savior for my soul. That he is coming back. That he died for our sins. He rose again and he's coming back. That's why I exist. To tell people about that. Because you're the only hope, Lord. That we have. You're the only hope. There is nobody else. God, we thank you for this time of worship, Lord. As we hear your word, help us to continue to worship you in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. I want to thank the worship team again. It just, uh, it's just such a blessing to sing praise to our God, isn't it? I mean, we, are, we are richly blessed to do that. And I want to thank you as a church family for praying for Sarah. Um, so we, we have committed her to God in this venture for him. Um, after the service, we, we, I don't know, this is probably not the best idea, but we got this really great idea to have the family over at our house at three o'clock this afternoon, about 20, 30 people. And, um, which means we, we need to leave by 12 so we can have the house in order and everything ready by three. So we'll be, you know, we'll be out on the floor for a little bit. When we leave, it's not you. It's what we've scheduled. Which makes me think there's a whole message today on time management. I don't know, whatever, whatever. Um, but not the way you're thinking. So if you have your Bibles, um, I ask you to turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at the first 15 verses in our time together today. So let's see here. Are we on here? That's good. I, I, I actually, that's really good that God is able. Try that. Should I try tapping it again? All right. That's a great message to remember up there. That I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm really good with that. Well, we, ah, there it is. There it is. Time management, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 15. I don't have this experience very often, but I actually had it yesterday. It was an amazing thing. Got up on a Saturday and I had a list of about, must have been 12 things that I wanted to get done that day. You know, I had to run over here and grab that item and blah, blah, food over there and clean out the rain gutter, uh, gutters and blah, and all kinds of stuff. And wouldn't, wouldn't you know it, last night 
after supper, I sat down and I thought, I got it all done. Like everything I wanted to do today, I got done. And folks, that virtually never happens to me. Because I have all kinds of stories when I feel like I'm managing my time and everything goes south. I don't get like anything done. Time management, I was even, I even Googled time management uh, this week to see some tips and you know, people talk about all kinds of things that, that you gotta do time management wise. And, and, and then there's cynics on the other side that says time management is a complete illusion. I think I'm more on that side, to be honest with you. Because you know what I find? Even if I can pull off one Saturday where I actually get done everything that I think I should get done, my life is filled with so many things that come and hit me that I have absolutely no control over. Is it just me? Yeah. I mean... I, sometimes I feel like that little kid on the beach building a sandcastle. And I work so hard to get, and then the tide's coming in, man. <laughs> and you know what happens. And, and so, yeah, individual events. And yeah, should I be a good steward to the glory of God? Yeah. Can I really manage my time? Can you? It's, it's, it's the very issue that Solomon raises here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And he's in a much better position than me. Because like he was the head of everything. You know, we aren't. What does he say? And I have to tell you too. I think sometimes when we come to a passage like Ecclesiastes 3. This is one of those passages where you've heard lines from this text. God will make everything beautiful in its time. You ever hear that one? Right out of here, Ecclesiastes 3. If I say Ephesians in the process, don't listen to me. I mean Ecclesiastes because I keep catching myself. If I say Ephesians 3, I mean Ecclesiastes, okay? I'm, I'm just saying. But I'm, I'm thinking that's kind of in the back of my head there. So, so a whole series of things. And, and how many of you have not heard a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot? Right? We, like... We see this on Hallmark cards. And what I want you to recognize that, well, let's see. Yeah, that's really true, too. Um, that's it. That's the one I want. Well, you know, this is all subliminal. We have it all planned. Just so you know, God is able. Okay, I don't want you to forget that all the way through. Okay. That is a great message. Um, there's a huge problem, and, and, and I think sometimes perhaps we misunderstand this passage, which, which has a time to this, a time to this, a time to the, running all the way down it. Because I think sometimes the way I heard it taught in the past or preached in the past um, is something like, well, you know what? You ought to have a lot of different experiences in your life. It's time when you ought to be kind of sober and serious about matters. and Times when you ought to just laugh and have a good old time. And you got to be balanced in time. Did you ever hear that message? That's not at all what Solomon is saying. This is not a list of things that we all should do. 
it's not even a list of things that each of us as individuals will do. It's a list of things that happen in humanity in general. And, and, and Solomon is going to see himself like us so often as one who steps into this world with all kinds of different experiences, often extremes. And he's going to come to a conclusion as he sees the world just kind of stirring and swirling around him. So look at what he says. He starts out by talking about all these life experiences that people have. And he, he gives a general summary and then he describes a series of them. He starts out by saying, uh, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And it doesn't mean like, hey, if you've never taken up golfing, why don't you try golfing? <laughs> it's not what he's getting at here. He's saying, as I look around, remember, Solomon is speaking as a wise man and he's putting on the glasses of observation to tell you what he sees. Make sense? And, and he says, what I see is all kinds of experiences. Let me give you the extremes to recognize that it includes everything in between also. And so he illustrates. And he says in verse 2, uh, and, and you, have, you have these, I don't want to get too technical here, but, but you have extremes and it seems like they're grouped in pairs, that, that, that they're all running the same kind of theme. So verse 2 is the same theme, verse 3, verse 4. So we're going to kind of look at it that way. So in verse 2, he says this. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Um, I remember back when... My daughter, Rachel, was born. And this goes back, honey, that would be 1989. Okay, okay, that's why you have your wife here. Around 1990, my, um, my mother was dying of cancer. And I'll never forget going down to, to Fox Chase Cancer Center to see her because she was, she was in there. And my daughter, Rachel, was born in Jean's Hospital, which is connected directly to it. And so one week I'd go down and I would visit my mother who was dying. And the next week I went down and my daughter, Rachel, was born. I thought, that's weird. Like, how, how can that be? And Solomon, as he looks around, he says, this is what I see. People come into this world and people leave. We're, we're at that time of year where you start pruning back and pulling things and cleaning, you know, cleaning up junk in the yard, right? We, we kind of know that, don't we? We know there's times you plant and we know there's times that you uproot. There's times when you plant and there's going to be new life and there's times when you uproot and you take that away. And Solomon says... I feel like somebody who steps into things that are swirling, death and life and uprooting and planting. What else do you see? Look there in verse 3. A time to kill and a time to heal. Time to tear down and a time to build. He's not saying here, 
It's a great thing. You should kill people. He's saying, I step into a world that people kill. We have criminals. We have war criminals, right? We got all those things going on. And there's a time to heal. There's people that come on the scene as doctors and they're there to care for people. Solomon says, it's, it's a crazy world. It's good things and bad things. Verse four, a time to tear down and time to build up. We, we kind of know that buildings get old, tear them down and you build new ones. I mean, it's just, it's the way the world works, isn't it? Look at verse four. A time to weep and a time to laugh. And getting even more deep and more intense emotionally, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Solomon says, I've seen people weep and cry and mourn over loss and pain. And I've seen people completely cut loose and dance. I mean, they just, I won't, I won't illustrate, but, but, but they just, they can't contain it, you know, and they just are, they're just doing it. And it, I, I, I see these polarities in life. What else do you see, Solomon? Verse five, and I have to tell you, this is probably the, in many ways, the hardest verse to interpret in this passage. Um, and I'm still not sure where I go on this one because it's, it is, it's, a tricky it's a tricky passage. But he says, that, verse, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And again, he's not saying these are things that everybody should do. Do you understand that? It's what happens in life. It may be that second part of verse five, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, sometimes embracing is looking at physical intimacy in the scripture. We know that from Proverbs five, but not always. Sometimes it's just a good hearty handshake, okay? So it, 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 there may be some sexual connotation here of intimacy, but, but, but and in the beginning of the verse is even harder, a time to scatter stones and a time, a time to scatter and a time to gather. Um, some have seen that as having sexual innuendos to it. I'm not sure about that one, but it's possible if you connect it up with 5B. It may also mean this. If you're living in the ancient world um, and I didn't like you, what I would do is if I would take over your area, I would take stones and I would scatter them all over your field. Why? Because I don't want you to be able to plant and grow anything. And if you do that to my field and you finally leave, now I'm going to go and pick up all those stones so I can plant. So hard to say exactly. What he is saying here is this. Life is filled with these polarized experiences. There's times when there's not a care in the world and there's embracing and loving and, and all the stuff that goes with that. And there's other times when perhaps the sorrow is so deep and, and the distance is so much there that there's none of that going on. It, none at all. And Solomon is just looking around and he says, I see this and I see this. They don't even, they're like polar opposites. That's, that's life. 
and I can't control any of it. It goes on to say this in verse 6. A time to search and a time to give up. Time to keep and a time to throw away. You know, when you think about that, life is composed of both possessing and not possessing. And, and sometimes that's my choice, right? Sometimes I seek things out and some things I lose things. Guys, you ever lose your wallet? I don't know why I do this. I do know why I do this. When I lose my wallet, who do you think I ask first? My wife. And she always gets annoyed with me. But the reason I do it is because she can normally find it quicker than me. But we lose things. We lose things. I, 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 you know, you go like, what happened to that thing? I mean, I spent all that money to get that thing and like, I can't find it. Yeah. Happens in life. You get and you lose. And, and there's other times when you have things and you purposely say, it's time to get rid of that. You know what happens? You clean up the attic, the, the downstairs, the garage. <laughs> when we, we've moved, how many times have we moved in our life, honey? Once, twice, right? And I remember, sure enough, when we made our first new, uh, move after being married, how many years, 17 years or something? When, you know, we had stuff, boxes that I, was, that I put in that first house when we first got married that we didn't touch in 17 years. And we went to the second house. I said, Sherry, you know, you know, I might need that stuff at some point. By the third house, we're saying, chuck it, chuck it, you know. I mean, I mean it's an heirloom for some, and, but other things, it's like, that, that thing is complete junk. Like we have computers now. What do we need that for? You know? And do you know what I'm saying? And Solomon's saying life is filled with seeking and losing and having things and finally saying it's time to take that and get rid of it. Solomon says, you know, the thing I prized as, as something significant that I had done now it's old and worthless. Not worth anything. Yeah, that's, that's life. I'm, I'm not trying to discourage you. We'll, we'll, we'll get hope. Just stay with it, okay? Look at verse, uh, verse 7. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. He goes back again to that whole theme of mourning over the pains of life. Because often what they would do in antiquity is you, you would get very, very distraught over a matter. What would they do with their clothes? They would tear them. They would rend them. And people could just go quiet in those moments. They would be mourning, but they're not speaking a lot of words in that moment. They're just overwhelmed with their pain. And then at some point, they put those mend those clothes back and they start speaking again. Yeah. Life. Different. Verse 8. A time to love and a time to hate. Do you think there's any hatred in our world, folks? Maybe a little bit? <laughs> and Solomon says, I look around and people, there's a whole you just see people hating others and others caring. A time for war and a time for peace. Ukraine, a time of war. 
that we pray is for a time of peace. What does Solomon say? He looks around at all those extremes. Here's his comment in verse 9. What do workers gain from all their toil? He's saying, what good is it? So I create something I think is really important and somebody else throws it away. I actually try to build a kingdom where there's some peace and war comes in. I try to promote love and there's hatred. I try to build a name for myself and it's gone. Sports teams, they come and go, don't they? They win one year, and they have a crummy record the next. Do you know who won the 1953 baseball championship? Not, I hate asking that because there's probably one person. Oh, yeah, I do remember, actually. Okay, okay. Um, now, we don't even know the people anymore, do we? So Solomon says there's a sense in which you come into a world where everything is swirling and you really wonder, do I do anything significant? And won't I be forgotten? So why all the work? Why all the toil and pain and heart? Like, what good is it? What I love about this passage on this one, Solomon doesn't leave us there. Do you feel the problem? Do you ever feel that way? What am I? I'm just this little cog in this bigger wheel in this larger universe and all this stuff going like this and here I am and then I leave and then does anybody even remember that I was here? And I, I can't ultimately figure it out or control it. Wouldn't you love to control your life? I would. No, I, I, mean, I know I wouldn't ultimately because I'd mess it up. But part of me goes like, yeah, I would like to control. And you know what, folks? I can't. I can't control my life. I can't even understand the things God allows in my life sometimes. Can you? So Solomon, what do we do with all that? And here's what I love. He makes a major shift from verse 9 to verse 10. Because what he is giving you up until that point are through the eyes of the wise man who's making observations in his place. And he can't go any farther than being under the sun, folks. There's, no else, there's nowhere else to go. Until he takes off those glasses and he puts on the glasses of faith. Because what he says next, you do not know empirically, but you do know truly. Because God has revealed himself and told us. So he doesn't get it this way, just by looking. It's got to come by accepting what Revelation tells us. 
Otherwise, all you do is spend. So Solomon, you've put on different glasses now. What should we do? How do we come after all these things? And he gives us the solution in two parts. Let's see. I think I've got the... Oh, sorry. Try it again. How about that? I should let you control it. Ah, that's it. Perfect. Okay, we'll leave it right there. Okay. He gives us two solutions to the problem. The first one you can see comes in verses 10 to 13. Listen to what he says. I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. Solomon says, I'm going to pull back now and try to look at this from God's perspective. And, and, and God in his sovereignty, perhaps for reasons which I will never fully understand this side of the grave even, always. God has allowed these things for larger purposes, which I don't fully understand. I think he's saying something else. I think he's going back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember what happens after the fall? Childbirth, really easy after the fall, right? No. It's a constant reminder that we live on this side of the garden. Work, which was a gift from God from the beginning, is easy in Genesis chapter 3. Yes or no? No! It's hard. It's toil. And part of the answer, though, in all this, maybe not specifically, I might not fully understand, but part of the answer is, yes, this is what God is allowing in a world that has been cursed by sin. God has allowed this. He says over in Romans chapter 8 that the creation itself groans for redemption. And, and he says there that God is the one who has subjected this world to what we presently experience because of sin that has come into the world. Do you see? So he, he, he's now looking at it from a revelatory perspective. I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. And then he says this in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Perhaps another translation, appropriate in its time. Now here's what I want to be clear about. You may never see that time in your lifetime. Do you understand that? What he's not saying is, when you're going through really great difficulties and you're not quite sure how everything's working out, don't worry. God's going to come along and he's going to say, show you clearly, oh, this is exactly why I did that and that's why this happened. Get, you, you'll be fine. Often that doesn't happen, this side of the grave, folks. I think I told you before, my, my sister passed away at the age of 44. Um, and um, to this day, I can't figure it out. It just, it makes zero sense to me, because I know her. Stellar, all kinds of stuff she could do for the kingdom. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? So when it says God makes everything beautiful or appropriate in its time, it doesn't mean that Doug Finkbeiner is going to see that in his lifetime while he's living here. What it does mean from the eyes, through the eyes of faith, that I believe that God will do that at one time.
sometime. And when I stand in heaven, we're all going to look back and go like, oh, man, I missed that one. Do you see? But not necessarily now. Solomon pulls back in a world that often feels so uncomfortable and painful and polarities and all that stuff. And he says, look, part of it is that we live in a sin-cursed world. <clears throat> and the other part is in that sin-cursed world, there's a sovereign God that controls everything. So that at the end of the day, you go, okay. But that day may not be in your lifetime. It might. He does sometimes. But it might not. He goes on to say this. <coughs> he has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has built me in such a way. We, we, were, we were created to know the true and living God, weren't we? And, and, and to know the one who knows it all from past to present to future, puts the whole thing together, has purpose. It's gone. We were meant to know him. He's put something in our heart that wants to try to put all that stuff together. Here's the bottom line. You can't put it all together by yourself. And you won't see how it all fits together necessarily. You won't in your lifetime. But there's still a sovereign God who is up to his glory and the good of his people. Always. So he says, Doug, rather than spending your time sitting around saying, now I wonder why that happened. And what about that? And I can't do that. And why can't I control that? And I don't understand that. And all the questions. He says, look, let God be God. What he does is not whimsical. It's completely wise, completely appropriate, and ultimately for his glory and the good of his people. Now that I know, but I can't always see the way that works out. So he says in the midst of that world, Doug, Doug, your job is to be you and not to be God. And although you desire to know those things, because that's you, you, you love and you know that God, yeah, he's not now. <laughs> so what should I do? Look what he says. Verse 13. Verse 12, sorry. I, I know that there is nothing better for people than to, to, to be, I have the word happy here, um, translates joyful, whatever, and, and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. You know what he says? Rather than you, Doug Finkbeiner, trying to manage the universe, the extremities of life, trying to control it or to understand it, because I can't. Rather what you need to do, in a sin-cursed world, where there are going to be problems and difficulties, it's part of living this side of the garden, that's all true. God is constantly giving you gifts. With your name on it. 
He says, I want you to enjoy those gifts. The greatest gift is his son. But he says, you know, you work hard and you come home and yeah, yeah, you have an opportunity, you have family over and you have fellowship with your extended family and you laugh and you enjoy the moment. That is a gift from God. And, and you do good. You invite a neighbor in for a meal. You help them out here. You, you do whatever you can do. And you say, I can't figure out this. But I can see each day with all of its challenges and difficulties as a place where God is gifting me, even in the very work I do, which is hard. He's gifting me by saying, I want you to enjoy my gifts. So, you know, when you order that salmon, which you can't afford to do very much, you sit down and eat that, that's a gift from God. And you thank him for it. Now, you don't go to the other side where you hoard and don't think about others and your lousy story. But, but you, un, you understand that you enjoy the good gifts that he gives you. Because wouldn't it be easy at this point for Solomon to say, world is like this. Grin and bear it. Just go into a corner and sulk, right? Doesn't say that. No, no, no. Let God be God. And you enjoy his gifts on a daily basis. He goes on to say this, because I know my time's going quickly. Uh, so um, second problem, do you want me to go to this? Or you, I'll let you do it. Okay, second problem. Okay, I won't touch it. Okay, here we go. Second, second solution, sorry, second solution. Based upon God's immutable sovereign control of history, believers should be all in all of him. Look at what he says here, then in verse 14 and 15. I know that everything that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever has happened, is, whatever is, has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. You know what he's saying? God is in complete control of history. Now, that doesn't mean he stands behind every act that humans commit. In the sense, that would make God an accessory to certain things. Do you see? But it does mean this. God is over everything. Sometimes he's behind it directly. He's always over it. So that whatever happens and however how that stuff comes together and whatever that all means, you see that stuff woven together and ultimately you'll say one day, God has it all figured out. He's going to take the stuff from then and here and the stuff that's coming and it's going to all come together. So my job is not to play God. My job is to be a human who knows and loves him and let God be God. And instead, fall on my knees and say, you are completely awesome. My wife often gets on my case for this or with my kids, and I think she's right on this. She said, we shouldn't use the word awesome for people. We should only use it for God. Yeah, I, th I think she's right on that, actually. She's a good theologian. You know, I'd expect that from my wife, right? Um, but I think she's right on that. Nobody in here is awesome. God is awesome. 
And we should pull back and we should say, but God, I live in a sin-cursed world. God says, I know. But this is going somewhere. Because if I'm in control of past, present, and future, I'm not li- you're not living life like this. You're living life like this. And I am the one who brings things into this world in such a way that my name will ultimately be glorified at the end of the age. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Yeah, God knew, God knew just the right time. That is time management. Just the right time. This is when my son comes who will die for the sins of the world, resurrect, be king of kings and lord of lords. And this is the time when he comes back because God knows the time. And you and I should stand back in a world that often makes little sense to us and say God is in control. That doesn't mean I should be a glum, hard-nosed, isolated person. No. I enjoy his gifts. The gifts that come as a result of work. I laugh when I have friends over. Hey, look, folks. We, our church, right afterwards, you zip out there, and what do you have back there? Food. Why? We are fulfilling this command right here, folks. Do you see? Kathy, there it is, right? Right there in the text, right? No, but you know what I mean? It's true, isn't it? You come back and, you know, you dip it. Oh, that's really good. And you talk to them. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a gift from God. His taste buds are from him. So enjoy his gifts and stand all of him. And know this. It may be, because I, I, I've, I've thought about this. I work in an education institution, and I've had professors before me, and they've come, and they've created courses. Guess what happens when I come, and I have to teach that course? You think I use their course? Nope. Nope. Take that thing, and I set it aside, and I create what I think is a better one. One day, I will retire, Somebody will take Finkbinder's notes and they'll put them over here and they'll create their own. And in most institutions, if Jesus tarries in 20, 30 years, nobody at that institution will probably even remember my name. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's on a plaque somewhere. That's okay, actually. Because 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, because Jesus is resurrected. Matter of fact, let me just read it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Paul comes to the end of 1 Corinthians 15. I should have had it marked here. I don't, but I'll just pop real quick. Be patient. Here we are. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Yeah, Doug, but the world doesn't make sense. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.
Do you see? But I'm only this little piece. That's okay. I'm going to be a little piece to the glory of God. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And I can stand it all, enjoy his gifts, and know that what I invest for the kingdom always will have a purpose. And one day in eternity, we're all, it's all going to make sense. I don't need to know the answer to the why question. I only need to know the answer to the who question. And it's him. And it's Jesus Christ. And if I know that, even though eternity is in my heart, and I try to think, let God be God. And we need to be believers who stand in his presence. Father, thank you for your word. Solomon gives us words that are often hard, but true to life. We, we see it, we feel it. And yet, God, we are people of hope because Christ has come. All of our labor that we do for you, which includes getting up on a Monday morning when it's dark and going to work and doing that because we want to be a good testimony to you. All of that, as hard as it may be, is something that will never be forgotten. Oh, by men, sure, but not by you. We can rest. We can be awed by a God who can put it all together because we've already seen you start the process in creation and in the coming of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be men and women that don't just live by sight, but who live by faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
Yes, God, we pray that this morning in our hearts. Jesus, only Jesus. May we trust you more and more. Lord, we're thankful for the lives you've given us. And even if our uh, sphere of influence is small, Lord, it matters because eternity is in our heart. These things don't go unnoticed. How we're living, what we're living for, how we're spreading the news of the gospel, how we're helping others. Lord, even you came to a small place. Bethlehem, that area of the world in Jerusalem, Lord, it's not a massive, massive place. You came humbly, you came small, Lord, but you did great things, great things that have reverberated through history for us. God, as we go into our weeks from here, may we look at the small moments, Lord, and find that they are big occasions, that big things can happen in the small moments, Lord. We thank you for this time that we can be together. Keep us safe. Bring us back here again next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.